Hello, and welcome to Friends for Life, a podcast of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod's Life Ministry. We're sharing stories and insights of real people living out God's love for the people He's created. We hope you'll stick around and be our friends for life. Thanks so much for joining us for episode 13. I'm your host, Stephanie Jabauer, and here with me today is my good friend and my co-host, Deaconess Tiffany Manor. Deaconess Tiffany Manor, welcome. Oh, it's so great to be back on. It's good to have you. Tell me, what's your story with our special guest today? Oh, so this is great. I met Pastor Peter Price, oh, maybe a little over a year ago or so now, and we've had the opportunity to work on some special projects, and I, I don't want to give away the, some exciting things that we're going to make available to listeners and tell you about later, but uh, over the, the past year, uh, we've gotten to work together, and I've gotten to know him and really just love him. I'm Pastor Price is a, a great pastor. I guess, you know, really, I'm, I'm so used to calling him, him pastor, but here we're on Friends for Life, and over the past year, we've gotten to be friends. So I think uh, today, if, if it's okay, we'll just say Peter, and I'm and I'm Tiffany here in, in your stuff, and, and that's great. Uh, so I, I'm just really excited for you, Steph, to get to meet Peter and all of the, the listeners and our friends out there uh, to get to know him as well. Hear his story. And uh, the wisdom that that he's gleaned from the the path that the, our Lord has has given him to walk, it's uh, not easy. It's not an easy topic that we're going to talk about today. It's uh, can be pretty emotional. We're we're going to be talking about suicide, uh, and I know that as people hear this after they. Uh, pull up the episode or, or maybe even come across it in a, a search or something that it could really impact them. And, and maybe it's even possible that someone could have stumbled across this podcast because they're hurting, they're, you know, maybe thinking about suicide or have a, a loved one who is on their minds. And so want to start this off by by mentioning that no one should, should be alone when this is something Thing that they're uh, impacted emotionally about. And so uh, a quick mention of a couple of, of ways to, to get some help to, to get people to, to be with them if, if they're thinking about um, suicide or um, hurting. Um, of course, a, a local pastor is, is a great person to reach out to and someone uh, who can pray with you and, and uh, talk to you and, and give you the hope and life that's found in Christ um, and through his word. There's also resources like a national suicide hotline, uh, and that phone number is 1-800-273-8255. I'll say that one more time, 1-800-273-8255. And there's also a crisis text line that you don't have to necessarily call, call and talk to a person, but you can just text. And that number is 741 741- Seven four one. So it, it's twice. You, you know, you put it, you text it in twice. Seven four one. Seven four one. And both of those are resources that are available twenty four seven. There's there's somebody waiting to answer a call or to respond to a text. So I just wanted to to mention that if any of the listeners have have need of that, and I actually it's um, kind of my recommendation that everybody store that in your contacts in your phone because you never know when you might have need of it, and it's not just the person who is uh, perhaps uh, thinking and wondering about 
suicide, but even if you want to know how to help someone that you are concerned about, you can call those numbers and they'll help walk you through what um, are appropriate things to to say, to do. So that's just a a little mention there. But uh, now I'd really like to introduce all of you to our special guest, Pastor Peter Price. And uh, Peter, tell us about yourself, who you are, where you live, or maybe even an interesting fun fact or a hobby that you have. Well, sure. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for uh, the chance to, to be a part uh, of this podcast and to speak on this uh, subject. Um, as you said, it's a difficult subject to talk about, but I, I feel that it's very important. So I hope that we can have a, a really beneficial discussion here. So currently, uh, my wife, Julie, and I, uh, we live in Maple Grove, Minnesota, um, we've been empty nesters, uh, for a while. And, uh, I guess I might say that out of six children, well, four of our daughters, all four daughters have been married. Our, our sons are not at this point, but, uh, in any case, uh, I, I have been retired for just over four years now. Uh, the last congregation I served was Triune God Lutheran Church that's in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota. Uh, both Maple Grove and Brooklyn Center, by the way, are, are near Minneapolis. So as of recently, I've uh, filled a couple vacancies. Uh, I've also filled in at several churches um, at uh, on various Sundays and that. And you mentioned a uh, hobby. I, I do have a hobby that I enjoy very much, photography. Uh, photographing landscapes. And uh, I think my favorite area is up north in the Boundary Waters. We happen to have a cabin on Gunflint Lake that's between Minnesota and Ontario. So um, been up there uh, this summer already, looking forward to getting up there again after Labor Day. Now, Pastor, at the time of this uh, episode airing, it is September, which is National Suicide Awareness Month, and you now have uh, two published books on the topic of suicide, and then eventually two corresponding Bible studies that will be available. And uh, you write these uh, the books and Bible studies from different vantage points. Your your two major vocations, uh, one of those being uh, a pastor, retired pastor. A, uh, certainly a theologian, and then the other vocation is being that of a of a widowed husband, one who has in in both vocations been affected deeply by suicide. And you share in your book about your firsthand experience with your late wife, Jean. Uh, would you be willing to to share Jean's story with us? Oh, oh, certainly. Um, yeah, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, I would say about Jean that she loved children, and that's undoubtedly why she uh, went into the calling of, of being a Lutheran school teacher. She did that for uh, just a little while before I met her, and then, of course, uh, after we met, we got married, and we had six children within 11 years, <laughs> uh, and so I, uh, I would say 
children remained uh, a, a first prior, a priority of hers, uh, her family. She served with great joy and purpose. Jean was also a very talented musician. Uh, she was an incredible soloist and uh, very accomplished as an organist. Uh, I would also say uh, she had a very happy disposition, um, very easygoing, easy to befriend, uh, kind of ironic because uh, in the you know latter part of her life, she wasn't so happy. So her uh, happy disposition changed. It was very gradually, but it was also very drastically. And... Um, Jean was in severe distress for months uh, before I picked up on the fact that she was suffering from uh, clinical depression, anxiety, and at, at one point, paranoid delusions. The period might have even been longer than that. I, it's um, hard to know for sure how long she was suffering, but in any case, she kept me in the dark. Uh, how could she... Uh, accomplish that? Well, as I mentioned, it was very gradual, uh, but also she kept up with her duties. Um, uh, let me just give you one example. Um, despite the fact that I'm not sure that Jean got much out of my message uh, on Sunday, my sermon, she got the kids to church every Sunday. And so, you know, in that regard, her love and her devotion never dwindled at all. But then I knew, uh, you know, when that paranoid, uh, the paranoid delusion set in, she could no longer hide her mental illness, uh, that she was suffering from delusions. Um, at one point, she believed that all of her family uh, and loved ones were systematically being replaced with alien clones. Mm. Now, <laughs> fortunately, she wanted me to talk her out of these delusions, and I was able to. Uh, I was able to talk her out of her, her wrong perceptions until her psychosis was replaced by worry. I think that happened because of a change in one of her medications. But then I, I could not talk her out of her conclusions. And, and what she was concluding was that uh, as a mother, she was not going to be able to care for her children properly. And this would affect her uh, our children's future. And so you might say there was just a grain of logic there uh, that that we could be facing uh, difficult times. And so I could no longer talk her out of them. Uh, one, one, uh, one more thing I might mention that, that really um, made me aware of how serious things were is we were meeting with uh, Jean's psychologist and he asked her, have you had thoughts of suicide? And she answered yes, and that I just was absolutely floored. I had no idea. So yeah, that's maybe not so brief a summary, but uh, that's what I can tell you uh, about my first wife, Jean. And you, you're honestly, to me, surprisingly very honest and share a lot of uh, you know raw and hard information about your family and uh, certainly Jean's 
illness in your most recent book, which I have read. And it really um, gave me a window into, uh, just a window, but a window into her life and and your family's life and trying to help her and care for her. And I would recommend anyone to pick up your book and read it to have a window into more of what Pastor is um, and more of what Peter's talking about here with his experience with his late wife, Jean, and, and her suicide. And Peter, earlier in your your earliest book, which you titled, And She Was a Christian, Why Do Believers Commit Suicide?, you tried to delve into the depths of what might drive one to suicide and why even Christians aren't immune from these attacks of despair. And then you have a corresponding Bible study where you provide gospel hope and comfort for those who feel lost in their depression or their mental illness or feel despair so deep that might drive one to consider suicide. But now in this most recent book, which is called I Will Grieve for the Suicide, you shift your attention more to a different facet angle of this conversation, which is how does the gospel shape the grief of those left in the wake of a loved one's suicide? And really, you ultimately answer kind of the hard question to even to even ponder, which is, is it is it okay to grieve this kind of death, which society or even the church could see as a forbidden death, or you call one might consider it an evil death. If so, if we do grieve and if we can grieve, then how? And then further in your book, you talk about how the gospel provides this reassurance of salvation for even believers who like your late wife, Jean, died by suicide. So so that is what this conversation we're having today will be focusing on is the, the topic of your most recent book. And certainly we recognize that this isn't going to be all inclusive on the topic and it certainly won't answer all of our questions, but it's a place for us, for the church to start to begin. And certainly we're open to in the future having more episodes uh, devoted to this topic. But Peter, in your book, I will grieve for the suicide. You point out the many ways that suicide is stigmatized. Uh, Tell us, how does culture, whether it's uh, our Christian culture or secular culture, tend to to view death by suicide? Uh, Yes, yeah. Let me, first of all, define the word stigma. Uh, A stigma is a mark or uh, a judgment of shame. And uh, with a suicide, uh, you label the deceased as uh, crazy, uh, extremely selfish. Maybe they come from a dysfunctional family. Or uh, you judge the suicide um, knowing nothing about them or their pain or their, their trauma. And the, the stigma, of course, um, is not directed simply at the suicide, but uh, those closest to the suicide, uh, someone might suggest that, well, they were driven to it. Or um, uh, someone might say, no, they were absent. Uh, they were clueless about what was going on in their loved one's life. And then, of course, we can talk about the stigma in the church. 
you know, for centuries, there was talk about suicide as the unforgivable sin. Uh, people assumed they had no time to repent, and therefore, surely they were in hell. Now, more recently, I'm going to say that with both your secular culture and your Christian culture, some progress has been made in overcoming suicide stigma. Uh, people recognize that there's a connection between suicide and major depression and bipolar and schizophrenia. Uh, in, in the church, people recognize that suicide happens among Christians. However, while many Christians don't view, uh, view suicide as an unforgivable sin, more recently, they do mistake certain symptoms of depression, uh, such as hopelessness and anxiety, as an indication that the person was not trusting as they should. Uh, and for this reason, I might suggest that today's secular culture has made greater strides uh, than the church has in overcoming suicide stigma. I, I don't see as much judging, you know, coming from the secular world, but there's a trade-off as, uh, you know, your secular culture has adopted some unfortunate viewpoints um, when trying to offer comfort, uh, for example, uh, they will speak of relief uh, for the suicide through death. Uh, in other words, this person's pain has ended, their battle is over, they're at peace. Well, in the church, we speak of relief uh, not through ending one's life, but uh, through embracing life. Hmm. Uh, the gospel offers relief, even in our deepest suffering. Not by putting us out of our misery, obviously, but by freeing us of our sin. Now, I have been doing a lot of uh, study on, on the church and suicide throughout the ages um, as, as part of some research I'm, I'm doing in a graduate program that I'm in. And Pastor, you, you brought up some really important points there that in my research I've been um, interacting with and, and and this idea of uh, stigma and, and the mark of, of shame that the way you defined it in, in the early church. And, and I've been discovering that in some ways it was like a the, the comments about the unforgivable sin um, of suicide was a type of suicide prevention program I, I, you know, in our contemporary language and not it wouldn't have been phrased as such, but Augustine, the church father in the fifth century, was was you know, one who who commented on, on suicide as a sin and, and was really one of the first to to say that. And and it was really around the idea of trying to prevent what what we now call a social contagion of someone who commits suicide, and then others kind of get the idea from that individual. And and, and so it was the the, the church trying to say this is not what you you should be doing when you have difficulties and and we now know that we can address mental health in, in other ways and so you know, for what it's, it's worth I, I don't know that it's something we we need to delve a whole lot in into um you know what was do done incorrectly but 
I, I just thought that was, you know, really kind of a fascinating perspective to, to have and, and, and to, I, I guess, help us understand what are the, the better ways. But just a, a thought about that unforgivable sin, it was, it was really desired to, to not have, to not lose more people to suicide. Sure. Let, let me just um, talk about uh, the Middle Ages for a moment, where, yeah, they, they saw, uh, the church saw suicide not simply as an unforgivable sin, but as an indication of demon possession. Uh, there was this fear that uh, the demon, after exiting the corpse of the suicide, would wander and search for someone else to possess. And okay. so uh, to keep this from happening, uh, the church engaged in a number of post-mortem judgments or punishments um, to confuse the demon. They would, uh, for example, drag the bodies behind a horse uh, face down, or they would bury the body at a, at a crossroads. Or to prevent the suicide from resurrecting, they would drive stakes through the body into the ground, or they would decapitate and dismember the corpse. And finally, to, to warn or, or deter others from suicide, they would burn the corpse. And of course, uh, they would deny a, a Christian burial. And how then has modern psychology, but then also the, our continued understanding, which is un, unchanging through the ages of our theology, how does that speak into how it was handled way back in the Middle Ages? Yeah, I think there's this lingering uh, belief today uh, that you can't really know for sure whether this uh, Christian who took his life uh, was saved. And so uh, there's this idea that you really don't have the right to grieve like others do. Hmm. What do I mean by that? Well, to grieve like others uh, is to experience not only sorrow, but joy. Hmm. But uh, how can you have joy, you know, when those pesky questions persist in the church? Did she commit an unforgivable sin? Did he... Uh, have time to repent. And, and here's, here's another one which I don't know that everyone's aware of, but, but I hear this from time to time. Uh, if we can't know what was going on in this person's head, when, can we really know what was going on in their heart? Well, here's a simple response to that. Would you judge someone with a sick body to have a sick faith? Let's say, you know, someone has cancer, someone has heart disease, and they die from that. Uh, of course you wouldn't. So what about a sick mind? Uh, we may not know what was going on through this, in this person's mind, but we can certainly know what was uh, in their heart, as we do with any other uh, Christian who precedes us in death. And, and, and that should bring comfort to the grieving. And maybe I can just rewind us a little bit because what you said is very good and, of course, very true, and I want to revisit it later on, especially the gospel hope that you have to offer in your book. But you also mentioned the family that's left behind who's grieving the suicide. You have this inner voice whispering to you, you don't have the right to grieve like others do, like others who lost loved ones due to cancer or other kind of natural causes or or old age 
maybe just from your perspective, Peter, what kind of emotions and and perceptions were at work to to make you personally feel like this? Yeah, I I don't know. I think it was more what I was assuming people were thinking. And, uh, you know, there's that stigma that just was there. And I, I don't know, um, I, I didn't believe such things. And, and uh, do others believe this? Do they, do they um, uh, feel uh, that they must doubt um, whether their loved one went to heaven. I think some do, but um, I don't I don't think that they necessarily uh, ad- uh, adopt the same stigma that's out there. Um, even if those grieving do not question the faith of their loved one, however, there's this sinking feeling that others do. You know, there's that that, nasty stigma that's fastened itself to, to suicide. Uh, you know what people are thinking. Uh, and here's just one more thing, you know, that people are thinking is, is that you can judge uh, how bad a sin is by how devastating the sin is. Uh, so if this awful act should come with, uh, you know, a physical price, death, well, it must also come with a spiritual price. Hmm. But I I think we know better. The question isn't about the level of hurt. Uh, The question is, did he or she despise God's word? Or were they a believer who who loved the gospel uh, and loved their Savior? You also have this quote in your book, which I have written down in, in hope to keep. But you said that everyone who has ever died has died because of sin. And um, that's true for the believer who committed suicide. It's also true of the person who dies of natural causes. It's really that um, death is our enemy because death is caused by sin. And we all are death bound because of sin. And I thought that that was a helpful perspective and way to to remember all of this, that that no death, whether it's the death of one by suicide or the death of one who died of natural causes, is, is to be celebrated because in, in the end, we will grieve because sin, as you say, sin is at the root of death, the death of everyone. So now that we understand that and you've laid that before us in, in the book, what what do you wish people understood about depression, mental illness, even despair, and why one who even is a Christian might opt for suicide? Yeah, well, people should know there's a stigma uh, that's associated not only with suicide, but uh, with uh, depression and mental illness. Uh, People are labeled, uh, for example, as weak. They're lazy. Uh, They were a lazy person. Uh, they were feeling sorry. Um, I'm sorry. I'm, we're uh, speaking of the mentally ill. Uh, mm-hmm. They're lazy. They're feeling sorry uh, for themselves. But uh, the truth is, depression, by and large, is traced to genetics. 
and a person's predispositions. Uh, all of us inherit certain things. We might be uh, predisposed to developing cancer, suffering a stroke, uh, getting Alzheimer's. But it's not that we choose such things. And people don't choose to be depressed, to despair, and have suicidal thoughts. People experience such, uh, such things because they're mentally ill and they don't receive the right treatment. What's more, uh, Christians don't choose suicide because they're selfish or morally deficient. Uh, they're seeking an escape uh, f uh, from from what? Well, n not from their loved ones or from God, uh, but uh, they're seeking to get away from the pain of hopelessness. And you have uh, a quote in your book as well, and you say, depression, like any other illness, is best treated with the proper medication or therapy, or both, but also that like any other illness, sometimes the best treatment in the world cannot, cannot solve it, cannot ensure that. And I think that's helpful for us to understand too, especially when you mentioned that there's just this general stigma about mental illness, even today, even in 2021 at the time of recording. Then, Pastor, how might Christians deal best with their grief, particularly this kind of grief following a suicide? Right. Yeah, I, I, I think the temptation uh, for many grieving for a suicide is to uh, isolate yourself. Uh, this way you won't have to deal with pe uh, people's pity, uh, their unfair judging, uh, and unfortunately, there will be those uh, with good intentions who agree with you. Uh, they're thinking, uh, if you're alone and you're grieving, you'll be protected from shame and humiliation. But let's be honest. If you're grieving for a suicide, you don't need your own private space. You need the grace of God. You need the fellowship of other believers who will support you in your grief. You need church, the divine service, where you can hear the message of salvation through Christ and, and receive, along with other Christians, Jesus' body and blood given and shed for you. And you make a very specific point of talking about that too, not just from the perspective of um, someone who's lost a loved one to suicide, but also as a Pastor, you talk about the tendency for um, anyone who's grieving really to um, self-isolate and to even keep themselves from the fellowship of the church, their Christian brothers and, and sisters. But you have this uh, bold encouragement in your book to let Christ handle it. Let him do, as you even put it, do the damage control. And you say by sustaining you, the grieving, through the truest source of strength, which is God's word. How would you recommend or, or kind of give someone the, the strength or the push to even get out the door to attend divine service, to go to Bible study when they don't feel like it? How did you make it through that time? 
I mean, just because you were a pastor and you had to <laughs> had to be there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't really have a choice. I uh, I, I I remember. Um, it. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I think it was a month uh, that I took off. You know, from my calling as a pastor, and I'll never forget. You know, having to get in front of the congregation and and uh, preach a sermon. I'll never forget the text uh, from James. Uh, you are but a mist that appears for a while and then vanishes. And so I was, yeah, I, I, I got I got into the pulpit and I, I talked a little bit about my experience and my grief. And um, I guess that's what I would encourage others is that, um, you know, again, you don't want to grieve alone. It's not natural to, to, to grieve alone. Uh, we need the support of others. And um, yeah, there's that stigma out there. There are certain people that aren't going to understand, but most people will. And most people want to support you. And um, uh, you need to hear uh, the gospel articulated uh, not not simply in the you know privacy of your home, but uh, by a pastor, um, you know who spends time preparing a message, and from individual Christians who can talk to you one on one and and uh, offer you uh, specific comfort for what you're feeling. Hmm. And of course, we we know only in the divine service do we actually receive. Christ's body and blood, we receive the gospel, yes. <laughs> forgiveness of sins in our mouth, in our very bodies. And then of yes. course, when the pastor offers absolution face to face and says that Christ died for you, you are forgiven. That's something that can't be be found anywhere else. And that's why we, we go into the sanctuary of our church, because that's where Christ's promises are, are sure to be. Yeah, absolutely right. Peter, you call the suicide of a Christian a very painful paradox. What do you mean by that when you say the suicide of a Christian is a painful paradox? Yeah, yeah. Uh, first of all, a paradox is an apparent contradiction. Uh, there are two facts which seem to contradict each other. And here's our paradox. Christians love God, and therefore they love the life that he's given them. And yet this Christian over here who gave up, uh, who, who committed suicide, gave up on life. Uh, in fact, he despised his life and he ended his life. Uh, or we could put it this way, Christians trust in God that he'll care for them in every circumstance. And yet this Christian lost all hope and despaired. But here's the thing. Paradoxes exist in this world where God's grace is alive and well, but, but so is sin and, and sin's effects. Uh, having said that, though, suicide's paradox is overcome when we remember that our Savior suffered the greatest paradox of them all. Think about this. God's son, 
who was loved from eternity by his father is abandoned by his father. Why? So that he might suffer in our place the hopelessness and despair that's brought on uh, by sin. So on the very same cross where Christ was sacrificed, he redeemed us from sin, uh, even the, the sin of suicide. Then let's pick up where I kind of had us pause, and that is uh, we talked very early on about the Christian hope, and then you just mentioned why um, suicide of a Christian could be a, a paradox. So what's the difference between what we would consider earthly hope and Christian hope? Yeah, I, I think that's a very important distinction. Uh, earthly hope centers on this world. You hope for a better tomorrow, but uh, maybe nothing is really a sure thing. Whereas Christian hope centers on Christ and uh, certainties of uh, his kingdom of grace. In the first case, you're thinking, God will keep me here. He will care for me. In the second case, you're thinking, God will take me away from here, uh, mm -hmm. delivering me from this uh, you know, veil of sorrows. Uh, so here's the difference. Uh, whereas earthly hope hopes for the best, but is never sure of anything, Christian hope anticipates the best and is certain that it will come to pass. Then in the case of a baptized believer who dies by suicide, what words do you offer a family from a pastor's position? Um, well, I think it's important, first of all, that we cannot cover up the fact that suicide uh, is a sin. But neither do we need to, because we can leave the cover up to Jesus. Hmm. Uh, he covered up for every sin with his atoning blood. Uh, our, our, our greatest comfort, I, I would tell people, is not that despite our loved one's tragic choice, uh, he remained a good person. Uh, our greatest comfort is that Christ died for our loved one, uh, even for the sin of suicide. Hmm. In, in the end, Jesus would not abandon this person to the devastating effects of mental illness. And, uh, you know, that's what holy baptism assures us of. Uh, in, in baptism, the Christian enters a state of grace uh, with their Savior. And there, our Lord attaches his name uh, to the believer and promises to preserve him in the faith despite uh, the person's sinful struggles and stumbles. Um, I, I love uh, the passage from John 10. I'll just abbreviate a, li a little bit uh, where, where Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. I give them eternal life. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Then the gospel hope that you would offer at their funeral would be that though they may have lost their earthly hope, they didn't abandon their Christian hope. Is that 
correct? Right. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, there are many who lose hope on their deathbed. You know, if they're dying from cancer or something else, they, they see the handwriting on the wall. Uh, but by God's grace, uh, this person may cling to Christ and his, his blessings. Um, speaking of depression, depression can bully a person uh, into giving up on life, even separating himself from those he loves uh, uh, by committing suicide. But depression does not have the power to separate uh, the believer from the love of God um, in Christ Jesus. Uh, I like Paul's words in Romans 5, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. I think that's saying God's grace is stronger than sin's greatest struggles. And I think you talk about that and dive deeper into that passage in your book as well, which I found incredibly helpful. It's a beautiful passage in Romans. Peter, before we wrap up here, is there anything you want our listeners to know before we're all through about the gospel comfort and the gospel hope that Jesus has to offer? You already, I think, touched upon it very beautifully and and rather fully, but if there's anything you have the floor one last time on the on this topic as of now, and then maybe in the future we get to have you back on. Yeah, well, uh, thank you for the question. Gospel hope is is about Jesus, and um, uh, what a family needs to remember is. Um, what brings us the best, the, the greatest comfort is not that, uh, you know, this person was not changed by mental illness. They won't be remembered by their suicide. They're going to be remembered by their Christian example. No, uh, gospel hope isn't so much our knowledge of who uh, this person really was. Uh, our hope is that he or she is known by our Lord. You know, uh, this loved one is, is one for whom Jesus died. Uh, uh, he's a child of God, marked, not as lost by the sin of suicide, but marked as righteous uh, by the blood of Christ and um, the, the, the cleansing waters of baptism. So, so our gospel hope is that this loved one was a Christian, uh, he or she was baptized. They trusted in Christ's forgiveness, and we will surely see them in heaven. Hmm. Amen. Now, lest someone think that whoever's listening, that we've covered every aspect of this topic and there's no need to get your book, what content do you have in your books that, that we haven't covered that would urge our listeners to reach out and then receive your receive your books? Okay. Yeah. Um, let me simply comment uh, on a, a certain thread that uh, connects each chapter of the book. I, I talk about fighting the good fight. And that, of course, is what every Christian does by God's grace. Uh, throughout life, we stand up to sin. We stand up to unbelief and to false doctrine. But we also fight the good fight in our grieving. Uh, especially, I would say, grieving for a suicide. Uh, we fight the stigma. We fight the notion that we may not grieve like others. 
for we may. Alongside every Christian, we grieve with both sorrow and joy. You see, Christ won the fight for us. He gained the victory against sin and the devil by resisting temptation and by paying the entire penalty of our sin, even the the sin of suicide. May we continue to fight the good fight, even in our grieving. Thank you, Peter. Now, Tiffany, I'm going to let you have the floor because you and Peter know best how we can connect our listeners to his books. Oh, yeah. Well, we're so thankful for this most recent book that, that Peter's authored and are really pleased to make that available through LCMS Life Ministry. I, I've said, I, I think, maybe even in, in the book, but I, I've said it in other places as, as well, that uh, Peter Price has become an expert on a topic that no one ever wants to be an expert on. And I am so thankful for all that he's will share with us today, of, of course, and what he's written. And Peter, thank you for helping us to understand and, and grieve with hope in Christ. And yeah, well, thank um, you it, for your for your words on that. I appreciate that. Yeah, well, we, we want more people to have access to your words. I- immediately, you could go and, and download an electronic copy of, of the book and, and, and the Bible studies as, as well off the website, off the lcms.org website. So that the easiest way to get to that will be to just you know, type in lcms.org slash life. Uh, you could use a, a search browser as well, but lcms.org slash life will, will get you to an area where you can link directly to, to those downloads. You could also order a physical copy by emailing us, and the, the best email to use for that would be lifeministry at lcms.org. I think we should also give a recommendation for previous books that, that Peter has written that folks might also find of benefit. So I, I think, Peter, tell us the best way to uh, get a hold of your, your first book and anything else you've written. Thank you. My, my first book um, uh, was published about 10 years ago uh, called And She Was a Christian. Um, whereas I Will Grieve for the Suicide is uh, there, it's intended for the grieving family and loved ones. Uh, my first book, and she was a Christian, was written for uh, primarily pastors and church workers. And you can you can find that uh, by going. Um, I'm not sure what the website is, but it would be Northwestern Publishing House uh, out of Milwaukee. There is going to be a, a cost for that. I, I think right now it's about twenty seven dollars. Fantastic. Peter is a tremendous gift to the church, and he has made this this book available. And at LCMS Life Ministry, we're pleased to just uh, extend his gifts to the church by making the book available free as an electronic download, as well as free with printed copies. Wow, what a wonderful gift. Thank you. Thank you. I want to remind anyone listening here today, if you are um, concerned about someone, maybe even yourself having suicidal thoughts, please reach out for help. Tiffany shared that information earlier, but I'll share it here once again. Please, of course, first and foremost, talk to your pastor, a trusted family member or friend. But then we also have available to us the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at one 800 273 
800-242-8255 or the crisis text line where you can simply send a text message rather than talk to someone on the phone at 741-741. Help is also available from suicidepreventionlifeline.org and crisistextline.org. Do not suffer alone or sit in silence wondering what to do. There are people, including within your church, to come alongside you, people who truly care. And thank you really to all of those who listened for tuning in. If you liked what you heard today, please leave us a review and don't forget to click the follow or subscribe button on your app so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes. New episodes drop the second and fourth Fridays of every month. And finally, listeners, we want to hear from you. Have an idea about a guest you'd like to hear from or a topic you want talked about? Well, please email us at friendsforlife at lcms.org. We want to hear from you about what you want to hear about when it comes to issues of life. Thanks for joining us. Friends for Life is a podcast that introduces listeners to life issues by introducing them to friends who stand for life. Mm-hmm.